welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Michaela, and I'm in Kansas City, Kansas. I am a sexaholic, and I've been sober since September 17th of 19, so... Rena pointed out to me this morning, I'm coming up on two years, but I know it's one day at a time, so focusing on today. Um, I would just like to start with a prayer. Um, My higher power, I entrust myself to your care and your goodness, and please relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Amen. So today I'll be uh, sharing what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I think on page one of the white book, um, it really sums up just lots of different forms of the addiction. And for me, um, it talks about some of us found ourselves consumed by an unhealthy obsession with a particular person or succession of persons. Um, I kept my obsession to myself resorting to compulsive masturbation, pictures, I victimized others, and my compulsion took a toll on my family, my coworkers, and friends. And then at the bottom it says, whatever the details of our problem, we were dying spiritually, dying of guilt, fear, and loneliness. So what it was like, just to give some kind of a list of adjectives, um, for me, the, the addiction was really blinding. I couldn't see the truth. I couldn't see reality. I couldn't see the truth about my higher power and the truth about myself. Um, it was also really confusing. I just didn't know how to relate to myself and, and my own body. I didn't know how to um, relate to guys. I didn't know how to relate to girls. Um, it was just, yeah, really confusing confusing time. It was imprisoning. Um, Lust just kept me from being able to know how to relate to other people in a healthy way, and it kept me from being myself, and from, um, it kept me from making my needs known to other people. Um, It was full of condemnation. I thought I was I I thought I was the worst person in the world. I thought I was this hidden evil that nobody could find out about. Um, The disease was really deceitful. Um, I heard from a member in the program that lust always entices and then it immediately condemns. It was really isolating. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends when I was growing up. It was despairing. Um, I thought I would never, I thought I would never heal. Um, it was unreal because I was always living in fantasy, but never being fully satisfied. And, um, it was stagnant. I wasn't, I wasn't progressing. I wasn't healing. I wasn't 
taking any positive action. I was just going the other way. Um, so just to kind of share how, how this disease manifested itself and how it started. Um, when I, I was pretty outgoing as a little girl, um, but then in around fifth grade, my, my mom was hospitalized for depression for a couple of months. And I just remember very specific points um, during that time, but the rest of it is kind of a blur. And I, I think, I mean, I believe it had much more of an impact on me than I realized, but basically I just really changed during that time. Um, and my parents and my teachers really noticed it. I became very, um, just very introverted and didn't want to talk um, to my parents about anything. You know, I, if I cried, I wouldn't go to them. I would just go to my room and, and be in solitude. Um, I would, when my dad would try to give me a hug, I would pull away from him. Um, thanks be to my higher power, I, I don't have any memory of being sexually abused. Um, but something really shifted during that time. And instead of going to reality and to people for comfort, I turned to lust. So I, the, the way the disease manifested itself at first was um, just an obsession with older men. I don't know if I was trying to kind of find a substitute for, for a healthy father figure, but um, just my coaches, my teachers, um, I would just obsess over them and, um, you know, try, try to get their attention. Um, but they, they probably didn't even know any of this was going on. It was all in my head. And yet I lived like my fantasies were my reality. Um, it also, the disease also came out with an obsession with my classmates, um, particularly one young man. He was dating someone at the time, but I just, I didn't care. I, I liked him and I obsessed over him and tried to get his attention. And again, he was, um, I think he knew like something weird was going on. Um, but I don't know. A lot of people just didn't know that, that all of this was going on internally. Um, I would you know, I thought I always prided myself on being really creative and imaginative, but really I was just a sex addict. Um, I was just really good at coming up with different fantasies and I had these different movie plot lines and movies are a big um, part of my addiction. And so I had these whole plot lines and these imaginary friends and they were really just imaginary sex partners, basically. Um, and some of them stayed with me for a long time. Um, you know, throughout college and, and after, but slowly I've been able to, to let go of them. Um, so in, in grade school, like middle school and high school and throughout college, it was mostly fantasy that I, um, is the way that I indulged in my addiction. But then I don't know exactly when I discovered masturbation. It may have been during high school, but again, that's kind of a blur. I'm not sure why. Uh, I think I was just out of touch with reality. So I discovered masturbation. Um, I knew it felt good. I knew it, you know, it felt satisfying. Um, but I also grew up in a religious household. And so 
I, you know, I was kind of figuring out like, okay, this feels so good. Like it has to be wrong. Um, something, something is wrong here. And so, um, it just brought on a lot of shame and I started pulling away from my faith, not, not fully participating in, um, the traditions of, of my faith. And yeah, just, it really brought on a lot of shame. So after, after college, I, the summer right after I graduated from college, um, I was really trying to stop, like, yeah, I've never tried that hard before, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Um, my body had just gotten so used to um, that habit of masturbation that it just, yeah, it was, it was, that's what it was. It was a habit and I couldn't stop it. Um, so I spent a couple of years doing full-time service mission work and there, there was masturbation, but it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't like every day. It wasn't very often, but it was still definitely present and the obsessions and the wanting to be lusted and yeah, wanting to be lusted after and lusting after other people was definitely present. And the addiction then really um, kind of overtook my mind in the last year of my service. It was 2016. And basically because of the shame of knowing that what I was doing was wrong, you know, even entertaining sexual thoughts, I knew that was wrong. And I felt so much shame about it that I was just trying to repress it. You know, every time it would come up, I would either indulge in it, which brought about huge amounts of shame, or I would try to repress it. And it definitely came back with a vengeance. Um, it's kind of like that trying to plug up a dam and, you know, then it springs a leak somewhere else. And that's definitely what was happening in my mind. And I just, I couldn't handle it. Um, I tried therapy. I became really depressed. Um, I also became very um, scrupulous, which is a, a term I use, but basically just I was so I was so afraid that I was you know going to go to hell or that I was you know in, in serious sin all the time and that I was just damned for the rest of my life um, and that that really played a part in the depression and, and um, just a lot of psychological issues so I ended up deciding to, to move back home in 2017 lived with my parents um, it's been four years I'm finally moving out thanks be to God um, but during that time, that is really when um, I, d I discovered pornography. I had never watched pornography. Um, you know, I had watched soft porn and plenty of movies by that time, but I discovered pornography and um, just really delved into it. I started masturbating every day, you know, uh, lots of times a day sometimes staying up most of the night watching pornography. Um, I discovered Amazon. I had my own account and I just bought movie after movie. Um, a lot of them were just not necessarily pornographic films, but, but basically um, just any movie I could get my hands on, any movie I could hear about, anything to feed my addiction. Um, and yes, yeah, spent 
I don't know how much, um, at least over a hundred dollars just on, on buying movies. And, um, yeah, it was just really living in my addiction and not, not progressing as an adult, not living a normal life. And finally I was seeing, um, a spiritual leader in, in my faith tradition and he actually suggested Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, and I'm so grateful he did. Um, and my, my reasons for coming into it were not exactly um, completely pure. I guess I was just like, well, you know, it's, it, it can't hurt. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, but it, it ended up being exactly what I needed, especially the accountability. That was probably one of the biggest um, benefits of the program, just having my sponsor there and available every day um, so I could call her. And I did um, probably for, I think for the first year of the program, I called my sponsor every day. Um, and so when I started, um, there were a couple of really solid women in the program with, with long-term sobriety. And so I really couldn't have done it without them. Um, and one of them ended up becoming my sponsor. And um, so bef- before I kind of go into what uh, what happened, I just, again, I kind of made a list of, of what happened. So I despaired. I was overpowered. I gave up. I let go. I sought help. I tried something. I received, accepted, and embraced the solution. So when I first came into the program, um, like I said, I called my sponsor every day. Um, we met once a week to read from the white book, and we ended up reading uh, through the whole white book over a period of time, and that was just really awesome to be immersed in the literature so much. And when I first joined, you know, it's really overwhelming when you first join, or when, when I first joined, and so my sponsor gave me just five simple things to do, um, and that was go to meetings, pray, work the steps, reach out to others in the program, and be of service. And so at the beginning, um, I was going to a lot of meetings, and I, I still go to um, at least one meeting a week, but usually it's like one to three. Um, and I'm very blessed because we have a lot of face-to-face meetings here in the Kansas City area. Um, And they just really, you know, the meetings help me make connections. They help me just know I'm not alone. Um, And there's always so much wisdom I gain from the members at the meetings. Uh, Prayer. um, I pray almost every day. Kind of prayer kind of goes um, through through periods. I mean, I I think I pray every day, but I don't always like you know, sit down and have like actual, um, like a long, long period of prayer. So I'm still working on that. But prayer is just essential for me in the program connection with my higher power. And prayer for me has changed a lot. Um, I used to think I had to, you know, read certain things and recite certain prayers, but now prayer sometimes is just sitting with my higher power and, and letting him just keep me company, knowing I'm not alone. Um, step work, I'm currently on step 
not well step eight and a half um so i'm working on forgiveness of others and myself um and i really like the saying don't stop until the miracle happens and there have been so many miracles for me in the program um but that's just that's kind of what keeps me going like i've i've seen so many little miracles and so I know I need to keep going because I know so much is, is still yet to come. Um, calling others, I this is something I am quite terrible at, but um, I really want to improve in it. And the times that I have called other people and have reached out, it's been amazing. Um, and I, I have found a couple of women that I'm able to just reach out, you know, even if they don't answer, just reach out and share really weird and intimate stuff with them, you know, and I, I never thought I would be calling another woman and, and telling her what's going on with my body. Like, that's just really strange. And, um, but I do it and it really helps. It really just, you know, takes a lot of the shame away. And then being of service, um, at first service for me was just, you know, coming to help set up the chairs at the meeting. Uh, reading from the literature at the meetings, sharing is always being of service, um, welcoming new women into the program, uh, praying for them. And then I also ended up um, leading a meeting for a while, and I was the, the treasurer. I was a pretty bad treasurer, but I was the treasurer of uh, one of our local groups here in Kansas City. And now I am the treasurer not the treasurer, the secretary for the intergroup, and I really enjoy that. Um, being of service is just a wonderful place to to work the program, to work the steps, to surrender my defects. Oh, my goodness. Um, so just to, to kind of um, backtrack and just show the progression throughout the program, early on in the program, some things that were really difficult for me coming out of my addiction was I would often, you know, wake up and, and realize that I had acted out during the night um, or I would act out as I was waking up. And that really terrified me. And I, you know, I would always call my sponsor and be like, oh my gosh, did I lose my sobriety? And that that is another huge fear that I felt and still feel sometimes, you know, Whenever I experience lust, I think my mind immediately goes to, oh my gosh, did I lose my sobriety? And then fear and shame come in. Um, but that has really subsided. And I was talking to another young woman in the program and she was asking me to just pray for her because she was really struggling with um, like sexual dreams and acting out at night. And I was like, oh my gosh, I used to experience that so much, but this program and my higher power have really freed me from that. Um, you know, now if I, if I wake up and I, I know I've, you know, something lustful has happened during the night, I, I'm at so much more peace now and I'm able to let it go. Um, also gender was a really, um, I don't know. It was the more I went into my addiction, the more, I guess, masculine I wanted to be, um, and the more gender lines crossed and, you know, there was definitely attraction to, to other women and, um, they were definitely objects of my lust, but 
it's been really beautiful in the program just learning, you know, what, what femininity is and that it's okay that I'm, that I'm a woman and it's okay that I have this, this body and it's, it's actually a really good thing and, um, and that my desires are good. Um, also early on in the program, I would, I would go into work and I, I don't know, I refer to it as, um, a term that people use when you, when you take drugs, like going under. And I would just, I would go under, um, I would have a, a lustful fantasy, a lustful thought, and then I would just be gone. I would be living in fantasy. Um, lust would be in my body and it was just, it was really bad. But now I'm able to catch it more quickly. Um, and recently, instead of trying to suppress it or indulge in it, I just ask myself, like, what am I looking for in that fantasy? Am I looking for connection? Am I looking for um, approval? Um, you know, am I looking for, you know, somebody who understands me when nobody else does? And really, I find all of that in my higher power and in real connections with other people. Um, so some miracles and signs of progress that have happened in the program. I get to practice being an adult. Like I said, I'm moving out soon, um, and it took me four years to do that. But, um, yeah, it's scary. I, I don't like being an adult, but the my sponsor and the other women in the program and um, the program itself has really helped me to do that. I've also been able to just make my needs known, um, you know, telling other people, hey, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. Could we do this a different way? Or, hey, maybe could we watch something else? I can't handle this. Um, gradually letting go of lust in various forms. So I haven't given up movies completely yet, um, but I am limiting what I watch now, just limiting the time. And that really, really has helped me just stay in reality. And then, you know, when I do watch something, I'm able to look at the people with with more dignity um, and see them as good and see them as people. Um, being able to say no to certain relationships. Um, I remember early on my sponsor asked me to defriend someone from Facebook. And I, I never get on Facebook, but that was terrifying for me. I was like, what if they see it? What if, what if they know I, I defriended them? I feel like a horrible person. But um, I was able to do it, and it felt really good. Um, just recognizing the struggles as mercies from my higher power. And by that, I mean, um, I'll use the example of, of movies. Um, I love movies. I've always loved them. And I'm like, what higher power? You're asking me to, to give up something that really brings me joy or to limit it. And instead of taking that as a way of my higher power punishing me, it's really a mercy from him because he loves me so much and he is for me so much that he wants me to be free of lust in all its forms. And even though it hurts, I know essentially it's going to be really good for me and it's going to allow me to live a happier and freer life. And then another really big thing in the program is the phrase, to thine own self be true. 
Um, it's on our coins that we give out. And I love that because before I would just kind of, and, and I still do this, you know, it's a work in progress, but um, I just kind of blend in with whoever I'm hanging out with. And I, I come to like what they like and I come to want what they want. But my sponsor has been really good about helping me just be brutally honest with her and with myself um, and to my own self be true. I'm very grateful for that. Um, I'm going to check the time here. Okay. Um, so I think, I think I'll just end with um, some, some things that I've, helpful things that I've heard in the program, um, just some little tools. I've heard that when I want to lust after someone to sing them happy birthday because it just helps me see them as a child of God and as a fellow brother and sister in the program and a fellow um, sufferer and, and healer um, or person, be, person being healed. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling a lot of shame, I'll just brush off the shame from my shoulder, like I'll literally brush my shoulder to brush off the shame. And that's just a really good physical act to let it go. Um, so what, what it's like now, again, my, my list, um, life is clear. It's more hopeful. It's freeing. It's merciful. It's honest. It's connecting. It's real. It's growth oriented. It's courageous and it's selfless. So thank you for letting me be of service to you all today. I'll pass. All right. Michaela from Kansas City, Kansas. Thank you so much for your service today. And we are now going to go into Q&A with our speaker. So first, a few rules of the road. Um, in participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing. How to apply the 12 steps and traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk please, which means interrupting, giving advice, or criticizing another person's share. If you feel someone's getting too explicit, you may so signify by saying my hand is raised, at which point the moderator, Reno, New Jersey, may consult a group conscience. All right, so I will invite you now to press star six to unmute and ask our speaker a question. Uh, again, please be brief so that we can get as many questions as possible into the call. Who would like to be first with a quick question, please? Hi, this is Rob from Brooklyn. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, um, just it's a two-part question. Like for me, uh, right now, um, I struggle, and my weakness is when I take a shower, I have to be in and out of this shower quick because I can't be in there too long because that was one of my um, acting out and weaknesses. And the other thing I want to ask is, how strong is the compulsion today, that urge and that, uh, that compulsion to, to, to uh, act out? Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Um, so, so I just want to understand the question. So you're saying you're, you get easily um, aroused in the shower and you want to, to act yeah. out, so you're asking... Yeah. How strong is my compulsion in that area? Um, how, how is your compulsion today after two years? How strong is it? Because mine right now, I'm, I'm weak. So, yeah, like that is my, one of my weak mm -hmm. points is when I take a shower. That's for me. 
I was wondering if, if, uh, if you could relate in that area. Is it, a, you know, that, that's part of your weakness or not? I'm not sure. Just asking. Sure. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Yeah, that's, thanks for bringing this area up because that is um, a hard area for me. I, I don't think I struggle as much as other people, but, um, yeah, definitely um, before the shower, when I'm in the shower, after the shower, um, just kind of, you know, when I'm using the restroom, that is an area that I really struggle um, and the compulsion is definitely, it's definitely lessened um, for sure. But there, there are times, um, it actually a lot of times in, in the restroom, that's kind of when, um, you know, because I'm sitting there and my mind is wandering and um, it's just, it's a very bodily act. And so, yeah, it, it's natural that those thoughts are going to come at that time. But I've just been able to... Um, just bring God into that and say, um, you know, my sponsor has even said, like, God, please, please guide my hands. Um, you know, please guide me in my actions. And and also, um, you know, like gratitude, like just move to gratitude, um, do the ABCs of gratitude. You know, what am I thankful for? Um, but also just to be to be merciful to myself and say, OK, I'm human. I have a body like yeah, these thoughts are going to come, um, and I am weak in this area, but just keep going. Just keep going. This is a normal human thing. Everybody takes a shower. Um, yeah, just keep going. Thanks, Rob. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Rob, from Brooklyn. Who else would like to ask the question? Press press six to be able to unmute. Hi, this is Andrew in Nebraska. Um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about uh, going under. Um, you said it's something that, that drug addicts talk about, but um, I was just I was I haven't heard that term before. I was just wondering what you meant. Thanks. Hmm. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, um, I guess I use that term because, it, I mean, I, <laughs> this is where my, uh, I guess, I don't know. I, I never did drugs, and so um, I guess I can't speak with a lot of authority in that area, but um, I, I just imagine, you know, when, you know, with alcohol or with, with any addiction, when I enter into it, I lose control. And so just kind of going under, like, I kind of think of going under the surface of the water, like drowning, um, and just not being able to breathe, not being able to, to get back up to the surface and see the light. So really, it's just a loss of control. And when I entertain those lustful thoughts, it just, it completely takes over my body. You know, it's a, lust is such a physical thing. Um, and the mind and the body are so connected that I just... It's like I can't, I can't pull myself back into reality. And so, um, the the job I was talking about, I it's has a lot of mundane tasks. It's at a restaurant during the summers, and so I'm just cleaning and, you know, taking people's orders. And and yet I'm, um, I carry this person that I'm lusting after with me throughout the day, and I just go back to those lustful thoughts. 
Um, and so it's like I'm just disconnected from reality. Um, so it's really a loss of control. I, I hope that helps. Thank you, Andrea Nebraska. Who else would like to press star six, unmute, and ask a question? Our speaker Jeff today is Nikki Go ahead, Jeff. Thanks, Nikki, for your share. So I wasn't sure if I heard you um, <clears throat> properly, but I think you said um, in the first year of the program, you know, you've, you called your sponsor every day. So I've been in the program just, you know, a little bit over a year. And so I wasn't sure if you were implying that you know, you don't call your sponsor every day, or if you don't call your sponsor every day now, like what made you um, change your course of action from what you did when you were in the first year? Thank you. What was your name? Jeff from Massachusetts. Jeff, thanks, Jeff. Um, that's a great question. So my <laughs> this is a very humbling uh, experience, but so I was calling my sponsor every day, um, but then I actually, I actually was afraid to call her. Um, even after a year of calling her, I was, I was ashamed because I was basically calling her um, to tell her how I hadn't worked the program and how um, mm. how I had engaged in lust. And so she kind of broke that off and said, "You know what? This isn't." this isn't helping me um, and I'm not really sure how to respond to you. So <clears throat> I think it would be better if, um, if you didn't call me every day. And actually that was a huge blessing in disguise because yeah, I think I was, I was just dumping my, my lack of working the program mm -hmm. on her. Mm -hmm. um, and so <clears throat> now it just kind of helped me separate myself from being dependent upon her for so many things. And now when we get together, it's so much more um, fruitful. So thank you for asking that. Thank you. Hi, this is Guy from Arizona. I, I, I've got a comment, uh, particularly about the, uh, uh, the shoulder brush for shame. I thought that was very intriguing. I like that idea. Um, do you have any other kind of those uh, physical manifestations that you use? Hmm. Thanks for that question, Guy. Um, yeah, you know, I I personally don't use a lot of um, a lot of those. I, I guess one that I one physical act that I do use is when I'm feeling lust, and especially when I'm sitting down and I can't, you know, like if I'm in a meeting or talking to someone else, I'll just put my hand out um, and imagine my higher power taking my hand. And even just that simple act really helps me recall his presence with me and that I'm not alone. Um, other things that I've heard are just um, just like stomping your foot and saying, like, get out or no. Um, <laughs> or, yeah, and if it works, great. Um, and also I've heard people like literally dropping to their knees um, but I, you know, I once told my sponsor that if I dropped to my knees every time I had a lustful thought, I'd be doing, you know, genuflections down the road. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just um, trying to think what else. Hmm. Yeah, sometimes just even shifting positions in my chair. Um, 
you know, turning around, like physically turning around, looking the other way. Um, Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think that shoulder brush could be used on a on a number of different things too. That's I like that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys for your question today. Who else would like to press star six? Antoinette. Thank you, Antoinette and Ireland. Go ahead. Great. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for doing service. And um, Kayla, I missed the very be- the beginning. Unfortunately, I wasn't on meeting for the first 20 minutes, unfortunately, but thank you so much for what you did, Chair. And I'm on, uh, I've, I've done the first 10 steps with my sponsor now. I don't know exactly where I am on 11, 12. I, you know, I try and reach out or be there if members ask, but I'm sure there's a lot more work to do there. But I, um, I'm in other fellowships too, and just trying to balance them all <clears throat> can be a challenge. And I, I don't know, it's a question you care to answer, will or, or can. Uh, but I was just wondering, do you also have the eating disorder? Hmm. Thanks, Antoinette. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I don't characterize myself as having an eating disorder, um, but I do, I do struggle with with unhealthy eating and overeating. Um, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, and it's just, uh, I know one member who told me that it, we have to deal with gluttony first and then lust, but it, it's both together and ongoing and and I think the, the food was there first, whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's just something I, for some reason, felt the need to ask. But thank you and pass. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Antoinette, I will add um, that, yeah, I, I just think because we're human beings and, you know, we need to be, I, I need to be integrated. And and I do know that overeating and, and shopping and, and loads of other things really do influence my um, my addiction. And so one, one thing I have done recently is just... Um, I, I drink a lot of pop. I love Dr. Pepper. And so um, I've just been kind of cutting out pop during the week. Um, and just even that little thing has been really helpful because it just kind of helps like discipline. And, and I don't like the word discipline because I, I want to be gentle with myself, but it just really frees me up um, in ways that I, I don't even know. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Antoinette, for your question. And let's have another question for our speaker today. Press star six to unmute. Hey, this is Jason. Hi, Jason. Jason from yeah, New uh, from New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I just wanted to ask a question. Uh, a little bit of sobriety myself, but I still finding as I progress that I have a very like sick way of finding, trying to find some sort of approval or acceptance from people in authority or coworkers or even my sponsor. Um, just trying to find some sort of sense of worth from them. And, um, cause a lot of my defects are, sort of that poor self-worth and inadequacy. I just wanted to ask if you have any uh, 
I don't know, experience with that or suggestions on how to overcome that. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Oh boy. Oh, that's a great question. And I could ask that to you as well. I, um, yes, I definitely struggle with that. Um, and just so you know, you're not alone. Yeah. I mean, talk about, talk about a sick way. I, um, when I'm feeling like when I know I've done something wrong, I will, I'm very childish. I'll basically like pout and, um, get other people to feel sorry for me and then tell me that I, I didn't do something wrong so that that affirms my self-worth. Um, and that is really unhealthy and, um, I definitely struggle with this. Um, something I guess, and it's been very gradual, but something that I have to tell myself is that, um, it's, it's not what I do at all that gives me worth. It's just the fact that I exist. And that might sound crazy, um, but I really believe that. And, you know, just because, just because I'm human and just because I, I believe I was created um, good, innately good, that, that it doesn't, it's not based on what I do. It, it's based on who I am um, and that I'm a person and so um, it doesn't really matter what other people think or what other people say. Um, it's just if I pick myself back up and, and keep trying to do my best, then, um, and, and even if I don't, like I, I'm, still, I'm still worth it. I still have worth. Um, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry I can't answer more. I I need to I need to work on that. Yeah, thank you. That helps. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking that and bringing that to my attention. Thank you, Jason, for your question. Anyone else with a brief question? Uh, Pat Sexholic. Go ahead, Pat. Hi, Pat. Um. I don't know if this is a question, but I can relate. Um, for me, it was different uh, with my pornography use. As I watch pornography and watch members of the opposite sex, and I was in a place of worship where I worshipped members of the opposite sex, and I made them my higher power. Um, it was an action that I did that created a lot, a lot of problems, and I was expecting them to do for me um, that I didn't even have the ability to do myself, and that's be God. Uh, I can relate uh, to what you shared about um, you know, crossing the gender line. I have not crossed the gender line, but my continual use of pornography and making women my higher power is making me into literally a woman. <laughs> and... I find myself wanting to lust after men. And I, I constantly uh, take care of that through prayer, uh, through honesty and transparency with my fellows, uh, other men in the, in the program, and talking about it and going to God in, pr in prayer for the removal of that. 
prior to my pornography use as a young adolescent, I never had any of these things go on. I was in factory condition. I was really neat. I was a happy guy, really happy guy. Pretty. So um, I guess I do have a question. Um, uh, what what uh what course of action are you taking to walk out of that? Other than what you are doing right now, I believe that, and I'm walking out of it too. Um, and that and that'll uh, that'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Um, I guess the biggest course of action, and this really was not not so much on my part. It was really a gift from my higher power, but um, learning how to be intimate in a healthy way, and, and by that I mean like not not sexually intimate, um, but just having an intimate, healthy relationship with other women, um, sharing the fact that I'm in this program with them and, and having them still receive me and love me for who I am, that has been so healing. And yet there doesn't have to be anything sexual. Um, and so I think that has been the biggest healing course of action um, that's happened for me. Um, I think also just recognizing it, um, you know, when it happens and and knowing, okay, this person is triggering to me. I need to I need to watch myself with them. Um, and 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 also just you know, kind of going at it with the same approach as I would with men, you know. Um, when I'm having lustful thoughts, just, you know, work the program on it, share, share it with other people. I share, you know, I've shared with other women in the program that I'm attracted to women and they say me too. Um, so yeah, really just, just using the same tools. Um, and I will share that the main, the main form of pornography for me, for whatever reason, um, was actually, um, homosexual pornography, so men together. And I think also just realizing, like, what are you looking for? What, what am I looking for um, in that lust? And I think, you know, in watching that type of pornography, I was really wanting to know that men could have a tender side and that they could be, um, yeah, compassionate, but, but that they could also have that strong side. So I think I was also just kind of looking um, I don't know, for, for a sense of like wanting to know what can, uh, what can a man be? What can a good man be? So. All right. And thank you so very much, Pat in New York for that question. We are going to pause for announcements, but first I want to say a great thank you again to Michaela in Kansas City, Kansas for doing us a great um, service today by being our guest speaker. I'm going to turn off the recording. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. 
please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.